are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I was uh, talking to a, a server in a restaurant that I see probably way too often, and um, she said to me the other day, um, she's Catholic, and she knows that I'm a minister and that I'm Protestant, and she said, um, are, are you ready for Lent? Because you guys observe Lent, right? And I said, yeah, we do. I said, uh, I think so. Are you ready for Lent? She goes, well, I'm going to go to this particular church on Ash Wednesday, and I'll get my ashes and... Then here are the things that I'm giving up, but I'm kind of anxious about it because I got to get my mind right so I can actually do the fasting. She said, my mom is really hard on me and really holds me accountable because she's a really strong Catholic. And she says, it's easy for her because she's over 59 and she doesn't have to fast. And, and I said, wait, I, maybe I've missed something. I said, are, are you telling me that in Catholicism, if you're 59 or older, you don't fast during Lent. She says, you're not required to. You can. Some people do, but most don't. So I got a feeling I just made somebody's day. You're like, I'm going to have a scoop of ice cream later. So I, I was raised in, in a Protestant church. I often say I was, grew up in a small Kentucky town. I went to a Nazarene church there, and we didn't talk about Lent or observe Lent. We talked about the Catholics in our community who did observe Lent. But somewhere along the way, we Protestants have said, you know what? We ought to stop and think about this. Maybe we're missing out on something. Maybe this is a real opportunity for spiritual growth in this season of our lives. And so over these last few years, more and more Protestants are saying, this could be a real opportunity for me to experience spiritual renewal in the spring of the year as we move toward Easter. And, and we begin observing Lent. Let me, let me give you some facts, okay? So Lent is 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter. So Ash Wednesday was a few days ago. Easter's about six weeks out. I had breakfast with a guy this week, and he said, hey, I counted the days on the calendar, and there's actually 46 days, not 40, between Ash Wednesday and Easter. And I said, yeah, that's, that, that's right. I said, the difference, those other six days are Sundays, and, and, and many people who observe Lent, if they're fasting or giving something up, they don't fast on Sundays. The idea is that every Sunday we commemorate and celebrate Easter. So I think I just made somebody else's day. There's a lot of people having a scoop of ice cream this afternoon, right? Uh, the history was it began about maybe over 300 years ago from the time that Jesus was, you know, on this earth. Um, and, and the reason that Christians began to observe this season, uh, the 40 days probably coincides with Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness fasting. And the purpose was to remember Jesus' journey to the cross, okay? All those things leading up to the cross, especially Holy Week and especially the cross, but also for us as believers to prepare our hearts for Easter. And so we do that through several practices, through prayer, uh, through repentance, and through fasting. It's not only about giving things up, it's also about adding practices that will help me in my journey with God to experience spiritual renewal. And so we talk about six practices here. So I would say to you, if your church attendance is a little spotty, don't let it be spotty during Lent. Just make up your mind today, we're gonna be here every Sunday through the season of Lent. 
Or if your one-on-one time with God lacks luster, then give it a little luster. Step it up. Or, or if your group life, you've not been real committed to being a part of a group, we believe that that's one of the ways that we grow in our journey with God is through group life. Or, or maybe if you're not serving, you might find somewhere to serve. Give generously during this season. The last practice, really focus on that person that God has brought in your life who doesn't know Jesus. Every week through Lent, invest in that person. So we focus on Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about his baptism, where the heavens were torn open. So can you imagine there's a gash in the universe, and the voice of God speaks through the gash, you are my son, whom I love, with you I'm so pleased, and then immediately, Mark says it once. The Spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days, and he was tempted by Satan. And so you go from this really high, high where the God of the universe puts his stamp on you and says, you're my son, to the lowest of lows. From excitement and celebration to life got hard. Here's what interests me. In all of it, in all of it, Jesus consistently surrendered his life to the will of the Father. He consistently surrendered his life to the will of the Father. And, and, and because I'm where I am today, you know, 2,000 years later, I want to say, Jesus, <laughs> I read the book, man. Are you sure you want to do this? Because if you go to the desert, it's 40 days, it's nothing to eat, and it's just being in a position where Satan just wreaks havoc over you day after day after day. He won't quit, and it doesn't get better from there. From there, you're going to be rejected. People are going to reject you. You're going to suffer. Jesus, they're going to beat you with rods. They're going to whip you with a whip. They're going to humiliate you, strip you of your clothes, and hang you on a cross. You're going to suffer literally to death. But he consistently, even though he knew because he told the disciples, this is what's coming next, he consistently surrendered to the will of the Father. And here's the irony, okay? When he shows up for ministry, here's what he says. And I got to believe he had a smile on his face. I bring you good news. I got some really good news. So I've heard some good news this week. You remember last Sunday we heard Adam's story. Were you here? Did you hear that? If you, if you weren't, you, you got to go online and listen to it. But this week on Wednesday, I heard the story of another young man whose life has been drastically transformed by the power of the gospel, delivered him from addiction. I mean, it was a story just to make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. I heard, I heard another story about a guy who was forgiven a very large financial debt. Wow, what a story. I, I sat with two people this week. One talked about physical healing, and one talked to me about emotional healing. I've heard some good news. And I got to wonder, if somebody's looking at me right now saying, hey, Rick, 
I'm glad for them. But I could sure use some good news in my life too. In fact, right now, I really need some good news. I'm, I'm looking across this room this morning at families who are saying, Rick, we have waited and we have waited and we have waited and we have prayed everything that we know to pray and we're just waiting for God to show up and deliver good news. Well, this morning, I've got some good news for you. And we find it in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Now, we've been in Mark some lately, and I remind you that John Mark is the author of Mark. He was a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. And then, after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he becomes a partner with Simon Peter in his ministry. So you remember Simon Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He saw everything firsthand eyewitness that Jesus did. He was there for all of it. And so Mark listens to Simon Peter preach and share all of the experiences. And as a result of gaining all of that information, he finally compiles it into the gospel according to Mark. He opens in verse 1, chapter 1, by saying, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he spends just a few verses talking about John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And when you get to verse 9, here's what he says. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth. That's all the introduction we have. He doesn't tell the birth story like Matthew and Luke do. He doesn't write this incredible poetry like John does about Jesus being the Word. This is it. That's the introduction. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he adds, oh, by the way, he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. There's a gash in the universe. Then the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, the voice of God that said, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. John is a guy who just gets to the point. Then he tells a second story. There's three altogether in this section of scripture. Here's the second story. And it's the very next verse. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, it's chaos, and angels attended him. And there's a third story. It's the very next verse. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming, hey, everybody, I got good news, the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So this is the word of God for the people of God. And the people said, thanks be to God. Somebody said to me not long ago, uh, do you know what some of the uh, younger people in the church do during your sermons? And I said, no, um, I hope they're listening. What, what do they do during my sermons? And so they, they pulled out their phone and they showed me this picture. It's a bingo card. 
And some teenagers made a bingo card, uh, and sometimes they use it during my sermons. I've never heard anybody yell out bingo, but I'm sure they've heard each other say it. And so you get a free one for Jesus. You know, I'm going to say Jesus a bunch of times, but then there's all these others. I won't read them all, but like Sadie, if I say her name, or if I say small Kentucky town, you've got three already this morning, right? Um, if I mention my daughters, Brittany and Morgan, um, if, if I mention golf, um, if I walk up too early before it's time for me in the service, if I say the words in this series, uh, if I mention ice cream, I think I've already got that one this morning. If I talk about my mom, um, if, uh, if I tell an unfunny joke, that never happens. If I sit down on my stool, and it just goes on and on. Um, so today, it's a good day for bingo already, right? I'm not offended by it. In fact, I'm kind of flattered by it. And, and I hope that that means they're hearing what I say and they're listening. Are you listening to what I'm saying this morning? All right. So I got a big amen over there. What they're doing is they say, that's how he communicates, right? So lean in. Nobody is more interesting in their communication than John Mark. When he writes the gospel, it, it is so interesting to me that you got Matthew, and Matthew just lays out a couple of three chapters of this is how it all came to be, and this is how Jesus was born, and this is what happened to Joseph and Mary, and then this is a, Jesus as a boy going to... And, and finally, you get to public ministry. Luke does the same thing. I mean, they just lay in there and just talk about, let me give you all the background of everything that happened. John Mark says, no, I'm just going to go straight to the point. I don't want to beat around the bush about it. I'm not the guy who gives details. That's Luke. I'm just going to tell you what I want to tell you. And what I want to tell you is really important. And so that's, that's where he goes. He just, he just starts out there. And by the way, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth. He was baptized by John. He doesn't tell us why Jesus was baptized. Even though John is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, Jesus doesn't need forgiveness, so why is he baptized? He doesn't answer the question like Matthew tries to. He doesn't even answer the question of why only Jesus saw the heavens open, why only Jesus heard the voice, and why only Jesus saw the Spirit land on him like a dove. He doesn't deal with it, but he does answer one question. He answers the question, who is Jesus? In fact, fun fact, if you don't know this about Mark's gospel, he spends the first half, the first eight chapters, answering that question. He spends the second half answering another question. What was Jesus' mission? And John Mark says, I don't have time for a lot of details. I got a point I want to make. Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And then all of a sudden, at once, at once, what's he doing? He's trying to say, I'm connecting this story to the next story. I got three of them right here in a row, and here's how I'm connecting it. That same spirit that descended on Jesus like a dove is now sending Jesus into the wilderness and Jesus is equipped with the power of the Spirit to handle whatever Satan throws at him. And, and you kind of look at it and you say, okay, that's, that's the point you want to make? And he's really brief. Wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. 
wild beast, the angel served him. I think what Mark is assuming, don't you understand it's a spiritual battle? You got wild beast and wilderness. You got Jesus and angels. That's spiritual war right there. But here's the point. Jesus willingly, humbly submitted to baptism, identifying with the people he came to save. And he willingly goes to the desert, to the wilderness, to be tempted and fast for 40 days by Satan, tempted by Satan. And you say, why? You remember I told you that Jesus consistently surrendered to the will of God? I believe Jesus surrendered to the will of God because the world needed good news. And that's where the third story takes us. So on Friday morning, um, I took my wife, Annette, to the, um, to the airport, and she met my daughter, who lives here, Morgan, at the airport, and together they flew to Chicago, and my daughter, Brittany, who lives in Cincinnati, with her daughter, Sadie, our only granddaughter, drove the four hours from Cincinnati to Chicago. It's a good day for bingo, by the way. And... And so the reason they're in Chicago for the weekend is it's a shopping trip, but not just a shopping trip. It's a shopping trip for something pretty special. They're shopping for a wedding dress. I heard a few ahs. Our daughter Morgan is engaged to be married. And so it's a big year for our family. And so not only is Brittany having a, a baby in April that I told you about, Wesley is going to join our family, but then Morgan, at the end of the year, is getting married. And I didn't know this. I didn't know that you can't buy, they don't sell wedding dresses in Oklahoma. You have to go to Chicago to get a wedding dress. Who knew? News to me. Is that what your life is like? Waiting. I texted Brittany this week and I said, Hey, Brittany, I prayed for you this morning. I love you. I'm so proud of you. I imagine you're feeling great with child today. Am I correct? And she texts back and she says, Hey, Daddy, I love you too. Thanks for praying for me. Yes, I'm feeling great with child. Only nine weeks left. You say, So you're, you're a grandpa again. Well, not yet. I mean, it takes about nine months for all that to happen, right? We're waiting. You say, your younger daughter got married. Well, she's engaged. She's going to get married. Is, is that life? Waiting. We're waiting for the next thing. And sometimes we're not only waiting, but we're praying fervently and waiting. I'm, I'm looking into the eyes of some people this morning, and you've been waiting for a long time. You've been waiting for God to show up. You've been waiting for God to answer prayer. You've been waiting for God to come through. You've been waiting for God to come and set things right. And today, you're still waiting. So that's the third story. It's what it's about. John is put in prison. 
Jesus begins his public ministry. And when he shows up, do you know what he says? The kingdom of God has come. Do you know what he's actually saying? The waiting's over. He's not talking about some future event that if we just hold on and pray one day, it might happen. He said, it's here now. The kingdom of God is happening right now. The waiting is over. I'm not talking about the future. I'm talking about today. The reign of God has come near. I I love the way one author said it. He said that clash that Jesus had with Satan in the wilderness, it did not end in a tie. It was a decisive battle. Jesus emerges from that experience and says, the kingdom of God has come. And what happens? We see it happening immediately. We see God moving on the loose in a powerful way in the world. We see sins forgiven, right? We see God pouring his spirit out upon people. We see demons being defeated. I mean, just go back and read the New Testament from there until now. We see people being healed of sickness and blindness and all kinds of other things. And now that's where it gets to you. Because if you're here this morning saying, you know what? I got sin in my life. And my sin is not doing me any favors. It's messing with me. It's torn up relationships. It keeps me so far from God. Some days I feel miserable. Then I've got good news for you. The kingdom of God has come and Jesus is forgiving people of their sins. And you can be forgiven of your sin. If you say this morning, Rick, I walk with Jesus, but I need power in my life. I I need power to live the life that God wants me to live. I need to be empowered to live in a way that will honor God. I need power. Then I have good news for you. The kingdom of God has come and God is pouring out his spirit on people all over the world. Or if you say to me this morning, the devil is wreaking havoc in my life. The devil is wreaking havoc in my family. The devil is wreaking havoc in somebody that I love deeply. Well, I got good news for you. The kingdom of God has come and demons are being defeated and destroyed. Or if you need God's healing today in any way, God's power is available to you. You say, how do I, how do I get all this stuff? How do, how do you get access to all of this? Jesus says it's simple. Repent and believe this good news. Repent and believe that God can do exactly what he says he can do. Repent and believe that Jesus can do what he says he can do. Repent and put your trust in him. I talk a lot about repenting. I remember not long ago I said, in order to sin, you've got to turn your back on God, right? 
In order to sin, you got you to gotta turn your back on God. To repent is to turn around. I'm not going that direction anymore. I'm going to walk toward everything that God wants for me. You know what the challenges of repentance are? There's a lot. On one hand, you've got to admit you've sinned. It's way easier to say I made a mistake, slipped up, didn't come through like I wanted to. But to look in a mirror at your own self and to say, I've sinned. Sometimes it takes guts. Or to take sin seriously. I live in a society that's struggling to call anything sin. Well, I mean, nobody's getting it right, are they? I mean, we're all slipping up, aren't we? It's just kind of the way it goes, right? I think it's really easy also to blame somebody else. Yeah, but you got to think about what the situation was. It's way easier just to be the victim. You realize what happened to me? It's really the story of Adam and Eve. Adam, what did you do? And he says, it was her. She brought the fruit to me, okay? I, I did not go looking for fruit. Eve, what did you do? The snake lied to me. That's what happened. Can you hear me? Here's the problem. If I don't admit I have a problem, then I will never find myself in front of God asking for a solution. If I don't admit to myself and to God that I have a problem, then I will never find myself in front of God asking for a solution. We're in the season of Lent. It's a season for repentance. I think another approach would be to say it this way. As Jesus consistently surrendered to the will of the Father, I'm going to follow the example of Jesus and consistently surrender to the will of the Father. And believe the good news that God is who he says he is and is able to do what he says he can do. I believed that with Jesus on Easter, I am raised to a life I never dreamed I could live. So what do you do now? There's the word. We always respond in some way, right? You respond by maybe singing an appropriate song. Sometimes we respond to God by praying. You know, maybe just right there at our seats. Sometimes people choose to come to an altar to pray. It's good too. 
Sometimes we leave and say, there's something I need to go do. That's a great response. But God is speaking today. And now it's time for us to respond. And so I'm going to pray. And then we'll sing an appropriate song. And I invite you to feel a freedom to respond in any way you feel you want to. So Lord, we thank you that Jesus humbly submitted himself to baptism with the people he came to save, identifying with them. And I'm grateful that he obeyed the Spirit who sent him to the wilderness to be tempted. Willingly Surrendering to the will of the Father because he knew what his mission was. To bring good news. And this morning there's people that need to hear the good news. Maybe to be forgiven of sin. Maybe to be given Holy Spirit power. Maybe to see the enemy cast out of their home and their family. Maybe for healing. We're so grateful that your kingdom has now come and we have good news. In Jesus' name. Amen.
serve a God who is more than able. More than able. We serve a strong, strong God. So no matter what you brought in this place today with you, our God can take it on. You don't have to leave here with it today. Amen. We're so thankful that you are here with us today. I'll leave you with this blessing. Pray that you take it with you this morning. May the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit 
You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.